the reading for today is Listening with the Heart by Gary Kowalski. Maybe prayer doesn't mean talking to God at all. Maybe it means just listening. Unplugging the TV, turning off the computer, quieting the mental chatter and distractions. Maybe it means listening to the birds and the insects and the wind and leaves, the creaking and groaning of trees, noticing who else is out there but not far away. Sitting so still we can hear our heartbeat, watch our breath, the gentle whoosh of air, the funny noises from our own insides, marveling at the body we take so much for granted. Maybe it means listening to our dreams, paying more attention to what we really want from life, and less attention to all the nagging, scolding voices from our past. Or maybe it means listening to each other, not thinking ahead how we can answer or rebut or parry or advise or admonish, but actually being present for one another. Perhaps if we just sit quietly, we'll overhear a piece whispering through the centuries that's missing from the clamor of our moment. Maybe prayer means listening to the silences between the words, noticing the negativity of space, the vast, undifferentiated and nameless wonder that underlies it all. Maybe prayer doesn't mean talking to God at all, but listening with the heart to the angel choirs all around us. Those who have ears, let them hear. The sparrow that was the subject of Brad's music today is often symbolizes strength and simplicity. But it's also often the one who is missed because the sparrow is seen as such an everyday bird is often the one who is not listened to. As Reverend Kowalski says, maybe prayer is listening to each other. We're really good at asking questions. And Unitarian Universalists are especially place high value on questions. It's what we're good at. It's what we do. But sometimes it's the listening that's more challenging, and especially the listening with your whole attention and listening with your heart. When I was 11, I had the opportunity to interview a children's writer, Harriet Robinet. This is um, in my hometown of Oak Park, Illinois, right outside the western side of um, Chicago suburbs. And I had been taking lesson writing, or writing lessons with her. So we had a relationship. And on the day of the interview, I came with my clipboard and 50 questions. And I was going to ask every single one of those questions. You might guess how that interview went. 
It was the equivalent of a first grade get to know me a little better assignment. The one that is often assigned in September when the school year starts and the answers are posted on the, the walls of the hallway. Um, and questions like, what is your favorite color? Do you have any pets? In the middle of the interview, Robinet gently suggested to me I slow down and maybe listen to her answers <laughs> before I proceeded to the next one. And maybe, just maybe, I would have a follow-on question, not go to number three or number four, whatever the question might be. It was for a school assignment, and I have no idea what the finished product turned out to be. Probably not good. Probably like that thing that is posted in the hallways of elementary school. But that lesson stuck with me. Yeah, and I remember it as my introduction to skillful listening. So I'd like to share some thoughts I have on skillful listening, and I'll refer to it as civic discourse. Um, Many of you know that I'm in my first year of seminary at Wesley Theological Seminary, and um, I had the opportunity over in between semesters to take an intensive class through the Religious Freedom Center, um, which up until the end of last year was part of the museum. But it's a non-bipartisan organization um, to forward religious freedom for everyone. And my intention today is to compliment the past two weeks. Um, Reverend Pippin has had a couple of sermons on say what you mean and mean what you say. Now that we've had a chance to think about our words and our actions that follow that, I'd like to invite everyone to think a little bit about the other side of the conversation, how we listen. So why is civic discourse important? I will defer to a teenager and a retired Supreme Court justice who can say it better than I can. So Justice Kennedy um, returned to his hometown of Sacramento, California, and this was shortly after his retirement. And we might all, if we can remember back to 2018, remember some of what was going on. Um, he visited a high school on Constitution Day and got to hear some of the high schoolers say their piece. So this is when the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were going on. And one of the high schoolers, a quoter, says, nobody's behaving like adults. And this is from Maya Steinhardt, then a 17-year-old high school senior. It's absolute chaos, and it makes no sense and it's terrifying, and it's not working. Does this sound familiar? So Kennedy that day did not respond directly to questions, and there's probably a good reason that he didn't. But his general comments were enlightening. Perhaps we didn't do too good a job teaching the importance of preserving democracy by an enlightened civic discourse. In this first part of this century, we're seeing the death and decline of democracy. While his comments were made in the context of politics, 
Civic discourse has practical applications and can benefit our day-to-day living. Civic discourse boils down to the seeking to understand the other by modeling civility. So I'm going to take you through the five parts of civic discourse that Religious Freedom Center um, provides and and uses as their model. Um, And the first one is coming with an open attitude. And I'll take each of these, kind of go into them and a little bit in more detail with you. An open attitude is, is being curious and non-judgmental. So I heard in our comments today when I asked those questions, what can we do to bond with each other on that, that running team that I made up? So they're getting to know each other, being curious. Listening deeply is the second. So again, not saying your favorite color while your neighbor is saying theirs. Encouraging others to share who they really are, but not planning what you're going to share as they're sharing that. The third part is good questions. So I gave you two questions at the beginning. One was not a good question. Many of my interview questions for Harriet Robinet were not good questions. Um, what is your favorite color is not an open-ended question, but what can we do to further our group um, and getting to know each other? That's an open-ended question. And when we're ready to speak, making sure that our speech is art- articulate. And this often comes together, many of us have heard I statements. When I was coaching girls on the run, we had an exercise with an I statement. I'm sure for many of them it was their introduction into I statements, and they would roll their eyes. <laughs> I get mad when you take my toy. Please don't do that. And, but it's, it's an exercise that really, really serves us well into adulthood. And then the last portion of civic discourse is that period of reflection. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir that we often don't do that reflection. So Reverend Pippin, in one of her um, past two weeks in, in the sermons, was talking about you know, the community board on Facebook and how sometimes somebody will post something simple like, who left the trash can out? And people often respond without reflecting on why their response is needed or what damage they will be saying. So that first part, having that open attitude. Are we able to bring ourselves to a conversation without our biases and without our experiences? No. But we can do our best to try and be non-judgmental. It's absolutely impossible to check everything at the door. But think again about that purpose of civic discourse. We're only seeking to understand the other person. We're not trying to get to the same viewpoint. From this, I pull from my own experiences as being a parent of three teenagers. Very rare does my viewpoint align with those of my children. 
And one of my favorite phrases at this point in my life is, you may be right. I may be wrong. To which they then quickly reply, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Parenting is an exercise in humility. I fully understand that. I see the second part, that deep listening, as that crucial part of civic discourse. And while each one is important, it's that active listening or others encouraging others to share who they really are that really creates that connection. So some of the answers I heard from you, it's all about creating that connection. So I mentioned I took this class. The class, the intensive class I took through the Religious Freedom Center was entitled African Americans and Religious Freedom. And it took place over a week. Each day had a different theme. So I think the first day, for example, was religious freedom in America. And we had several TAs. We had a lot of different schools that came together for this intensive. And one of the TAs, as one of his gifts that he brought to the class, there were many gifts that were brought through the 40-plus those cohorts of us that were involved in this. But he created a mural at the beginning of the day. And then as we went through our descriptions, he would write, almost like graffiti on the mural, some of those key phrases. And the teachers of this class were smart. At the very end of class, we had a couple projects. I still have one that's due at the end of this week. Um, But one of the projects involved us using those murals and some of the things that he had captured. Can you imagine the amount of deep listening that must have gone forward to create those murals? He wasn't just creating from his heart, but he was hearing, really hearing us, and then bringing it to an art form. It was beautiful. So that third part, making sure the questions are good questions. So unlike my interview example, good questions are ones that are open-ended and seek additional understanding. Simple questions like, how did you come to this view? Or, tell me more, can suffice. But sometimes it doesn't even have to be a question. There's um, a phrase, uh, one of my favorite ministers, um, Reverend Meg Barnhouse, who's a minister at UU Austin, she calls this a thoughtful Southern phrase. Hmm. And in a recent sermon she did, titled, Explaining Unitarian Universalism to Your Relatives. She suggests repeating the last few words of someone's statement. So, for example, when someone says, I believe that climate change is slowing down, your question might be, you believe climate change is slowing down. So this is hard. This is really hard. Someone made a statement like that to me, and I was versed in being able to come up with a specific answer, which I know many of us are. We know the right answer, and oftentimes we feel that we need to share it. But go back to remember the point of civic discourse. We're really trying to seek to understand. There are other times when we can make those points that we know to be true. 
As Reverend Barnhouse reminds us, the first step to creating empathy is to really hear others. And perhaps when we are empathetic, we might be able to create that connection and begin to change their mind. Or perhaps they can change ours. You may be right, remember. When it is time for you to speak, the I statements can really help to avoid polarization. It's a lot easier for someone to hear the sentence, I feel excluded by the language that was used in today's lecture, instead of, you excluded certain groups when you use that language. A very subtle difference, yet can make the world of difference to those who have defensive ears. Being articulate means being thoughtful. It doesn't mean being perfect. So doing the best you can. And during that religious freedom class, I accidentally used the word diversity, when instead I really should have been using the word inclusion. And we had made a word cloud that appeared up in, you know, on the screen of that day's PowerPoint. And so nobody knew that it was me. Um, but in my class, there was one of my classmates, her professional work centered around inclusion. And so she spoke up and explained how it is a very common thing for people to use the word diversity. So that referring to differences that are engaged, as opposed to inclusion, where all people have a right to be respected and appreciated as valued, excuse me, valued members of the community. And that began a very thoughtful conversation. I came up to her afterwards and came clean and said, yes, that was me who put that up on the word cloud. And in this case, she changed my mind and enlightened me. And I shared with her that I wouldn't do my best. I would do my best to not confuse the two and use, use the right words to be articulate going forward. But thinking about that, going back to civic discourse, seeking to understand, my original comment, albeit misinformed, engaged a discussion. And it also reflected where my knowledge was at that time. And that's okay. Reflection, that last component of civic discourse, is often, as I mentioned in the intro, one that is overlooked. We often rush on to other things after we've had a meaningful conversation. Or even during that conversation, we rush to the next question, as I did when I was 11 interviewing Harriet Robinet. Recently, I have gotten into the practice of sketching out points that I want to make during conversations. It's just where I, I, I'm a big journal um, fan. I, I have my journal with me constantly, and so sometimes I'll actually map out what, what is the purpose of the conversation. If I schedule something with my boss at work, or if I'm going to engage with a conversation, even, don't tell my teenagers, but even sometimes with my teenagers. One of my teens has asked me not to text her about things not dealing with the day during the school day because for her, that creates a reaction that she doesn't need during that day. And I respect that. 
So I find myself, instead of just going directly to my phone and starting to text her, you know, writing down a reminder. I need to make sure that we've got you know, a weekend or a conversation taken care of, but not necessarily on my schedule. And when those conversations are taking place, what, what role this plays or how this helps me is sometimes I haven't had a chance to get those points across. And again, remember, I'm seeking to understand, but I also need to say my piece. And so there are times where I'll actually come out and say, can we create some space for this before our time together is over? So we can only be thoughtful about our conversations when we reflect on them. And that can be before, with the journal, or anything else that you choose to use. During, and then after. In today's reading, Reverend Kowalski wonders if prayer means listening to the silence between the words. We need to give space to all the different voices and opinions around us, to the angel choirs around us. Only then can we hear the voices of others making space for their living and their dying. And remember that we are all here together to receive life's blessings. So may it be. Amen.